Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We are walking through our series through this beautiful letter, a letter that doesn't seem like the opportune time for joy. I mean, Paul is sitting in prison, yet, yet it is a, a letter that is filled with the all-surpassing joy that comes in Christ and Christ alone. So before we even jump into God's word today, be comforted that, that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever the doctor has said recently to you, whatever your boss has said to you, you can be filled with all-surpassing joy because Jesus is more than enough for us. So we read these words in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we are in need today. Lord, I feel inadequate, I feel weak when it comes to preaching your word. Lord, I have no confidence in my words, but Lord, this morning I have complete confidence in your word. I have complete confidence in you. I have complete confidence in your Holy Spirit that speaks through your word, that speaks to the hearts of your people, that illuminates and makes Christ look beautiful. Because, Lord, when I think of the issue of, of grumbling and complaining, of arguing and disputing, Lord, sometimes I, I feel like it's hard to think these things can be uprooted from our hearts. But, Lord, I have confidence that if you just show us Jesus this morning, that you will fill our hearts with gladness. You will fill our hearts with rejoicing. So, Lord, would you do that? For your namesake, for our joy, for your pleasure, Lord, would you show us, Jesus, that it would consume all our grumbling, all our arguing, and Lord, fill our hearts with gladness and with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I could turn off all the lights in here this morning, if I could just pull down the blinds and maybe we get some boards or poster board and somehow cover up the windows, if, and if I could somehow for a second pry your cell phone from everyone's hand for a second, I know that's going to be a hard task, this room would be completely dark. It would be really dark where you couldn't see the chairs in front of you, you couldn't see people's faces around you, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face and some of us, I think, maybe, I don't know what age you are, but some of us could feel a little uneasy 
Some of us, if we're younger or maybe if we're older and we're scared of the dark, might, might not want to do this. If I said, we're going to turn down the lights right now, some of y'all might be running for the parking lot. One, one time I was sitting in a worship service and the pastor pulled up a bag and said, I have a snake in this bag. And I don't remember if it was Julie or Jeannie, but one of them took off for the door because they didn't like snakes in that moment. So maybe for some of y'all, if I said, we're about to make this place dark as night, we would hear somebody running for the door this morning. But if in that moment when this room was pitch black, if I stood right here and I turned on a flashlight, people would be drawn to me. No matter how much longer how long it would take. People would gravitate naturally to the light because it's light that draws us in. They, they would be drawn to the light because it would stand out in the darkness. They would be drawn into the light because light would be penetrating, piercing through the darkness. And Paul, in our passage this morning, He's saying this is the same calling as the children of God in the world in which we live. He's saying that we live in a dark world. We live in a dark world that's filled with sin and with rebellion. We, we live in the midst, he says, of a crooked and a twisted generation. And yet what this world needs more than anything else is Christians. Children of the light who will stand out, who will be set apart, who will look different, who will act different, who will talk different than those who are walking in darkness. The world needs Christians who will pierce through the darkness with the light of Christ. The word light here, actually it's the same word in the Greek Old Testament, the the Septuagint, it's the same Greek word in Genesis 1-3 when God says, let there be light. And at the very beginning when the sun and the moon and the stars filled the night sky, it penetrated, it shot through the darkness. And this morning God is calling his church. He's saying through his Holy Spirit to all of us this morning, he's saying, let there be light. Let there be light. Let the glory of Christ shine through everything you do that you might stand out in a dark, dark world. So my prayer this morning is, Lord, teach us what that looks like. Lord, teach us what it takes to shine as lights in this dark world. Because if we're not careful, even as the church of Christ, when we start looking like the world and we start talking like the world, we start sounding like the world and loving what the world loves, we might just be adding to the darkness instead of penetrating the darkness. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that the, the Word of God calls us to shine without grumbling and disputing. To shine without Grumbling as disputing. It's the first way we shine as lights. It's to not be grumbling and complaining. It's to not be filled with disputing. It's counterproductive for the church of Jesus Christ 
to be arguing with one another and to be arguing with the world. Notice Paul says two important words there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Talk about convicting to our hearts this morning, at least convicting to my heart this morning. It doesn't say don't grumble and complain on Sundays. Try really hard because it's the Lord day that you kind of have a joyful heart on a Sunday. He doesn't say do most things or a majority of things without complaining or without arguing with others. No, he says do all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He, he's saying there's never a second in your life where grumbling and complaining are appropriate. Never a second in your life. There's never a moment where being argumentative or feeling like you have a non-disputable opinion, where, where having a spirit of contentiousness should characterize the people of God. I mean, if you read it closely when we walk through this passage, it's literally dripping with Old Testament imagery. Because when Israel is wandering through the wilderness, what is it that marks the children of Israel more than anything else? It's grumbling. It's disputing. It's Think back to Exodus chapter 15. It's amazing what we read there because Israel has just been rescued out of bondage to Pharaoh. Out of out of bondage to Pharaoh from Egypt, walking through the Red Sea. They, they have been rescued by the mighty hand of Yahweh, their God. He's brought them through the Red Sea. And in Exodus chapter 15, Moses has just led them through a worship service where all of Israel is singing, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. They're filled with, with joy. If you, if you try to stop them, if you try to silence them in that moment, it would be impossible. Their, their joy would be untouchable because of what their God has done. I mean, there's tambourines, there's dancing. It's like a, a joyful procession going into the wilderness. And yet Exodus 15 says, three days later into the wilderness... While they could still vividly remember their footprints walking through the Red Sea. While they could still see Pharaoh and his army being washed away at sea. While they could probably still hear the song of Moses ringing in their ears. Three days later, they're getting a little thirsty. But they're looking for water and they can find none. And Exodus 15, 24 says, And the people grumbled against Moses. Same word here. They grumbled against Moses. And we wouldn't have to stop there. We could keep going story after story from Exodus to Numbers to Leviticus to Deuteronomy all throughout the wilderness. Do you know what marks the children of God? It's grumbling and complaining. It's disputing. It's arguing. And the reason it's so sad and the reason it's so tragic is because ultimately their arguing is not against Moses. 
The reason it's tragic is that they're grumbling against the Lord. They're not trusting, they're not resting in God and His providence. Listen to what Moses says. This is just a few verses later in Exodus 16. He says, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. You're grumbling. It's not against me. You don't have a problem with me. You don't have an issue with me. Your heart's not really bothered with me. Your heart is bothered by the Lord. And that should cut us this morning if that's our heart that's filled with grumbling and complaining and arguing. Because when you're grumbling about your boss, you're grumbling against the Lord whose providence has put you there. When you're complaining about getting COVID and being stuck at your house for a few weeks, you're complaining that that it's the Lord who's messed things up. When you're disputing with a leader, you might just be disputing with the Lord and and his wisdom. When, When you're arguing all the time on social media, you might just be arguing about the wisdom of God and what he has brought about in the world and his good providence that your heart's frustrated with. Every time you grumble and every time you argue in your heart, you're saying, Lord, I don't trust you. But to do all things without grumbling and disputing is to say with your heart, Lord, I trust you. It's not saying that you understand perfectly the providence of God. None of us understand perfectly the providence of God. There's going to be a lot of moments in our life where we'll be puzzled by the providence of God. But in that moment, we can still say, Lord, you are God and I am not. Lord, I might not have chosen it this way, but Lord, I trust you. The reason this is so crucial is because this whole world is full of grumbling and disputing. I mean, the world is full of people that want to complain about the pandemic and how everybody's messing it up and everybody's handling it wrong. The whole world is full of people that want to grumble about their jobs, that want to grumble about their spouses, that want to grumble about their children, that want to grumble about the poor service they're getting at the restaurant. The world's full of people arguing on Facebook about their indisputable personal opinions and preferences, disputing about politics and race and vaccines and Really, whatever they can that morning, whatever they can get their hands on that morning. But when I, when I say the world is full of people like this, another way I can say that is that the world's full of darkness. And we got to ask ourselves as the people of God, are we going to be adding to the darkness or are we going to penetrate the darkness with light? Are we going to be adding to the noise, adding to the darkness, or are we going to pierce the darkness with light? Are we going to join in and we're going to be complaining about our marriage? Are we going to grumble about our job? Are we going to be adding to the darkness? 
Are we going to, too, argue about politics? Are we going to always have to give our opinion, like every time, always post our opinion? Are we going to be adding to the darkness, or are we going to bring light to the darkness? If you listen to Deuteronomy 32, it's, it's a closing song at the end of repeating the law to the children of Israel. And, and Moses sings to the people of God who are grumbling. And just listen to these words, and they might sound very familiar to Philippians chapter 2. In verse 4, he says this, The rock, his way is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think we know what, what's going in Paul's heart and mind when he's writing Philippians 2. He, he's remembering that it's, there's a God in the heaven whose way is perfect, whose way is justice, who is always faithful and true, and yet the people of Israel, they grumbled and complained. God was trustworthy, but his people didn't trust him. It's almost the same language here. Israel is not shining. Israel is blemished because they're grumbling. And God, by the power of his spirit, is saying through this passage, he's saying to us, children of God, you should be blameless and innocent. You should be set apart. You should sound different and look different. You should be set apart in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation in which you live. Think about 1 Peter 2. says, you are a chosen race, church. He's saying this to Christ Fellowship. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're called to be set apart, not as the people at our jobs that are always complaining. We're called to be set apart, not as the ones who are always arguing all the time. No, we're the ones who are always shining because we've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we can't quit rejoicing in that. So shine Church, shine without grumbling and disputing. And second of all, he says how to do this shine by holding fast to the gospel. This is how we do this. Paul tells us how we can stop grumbling and disputing. And he says, be set apart in the means by which you do this. In verse 16, shine as lights in the world by holding fast to the word of life. By holding fast to the word of life. This word, hold fast, it's translated other places to to pay attention to, to to pay close attention to. It's to fix one's gaze upon. It's to keep a close watch on. So think about 1 Timothy 4 when Paul says the same word, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. Or the same words used in Acts chapter 3 when the lame beggar sees 
the disciples sees Peter coming in, and what's he do? It says he fixed his attention on the apostles. He fixed his attention. So this verse calls us to, to hold fast, to fix our gaze upon the Word of God, to, to keep a close watch on the gospel, to not get distracted, but to, to not take your eyes off the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that that's where you should fix your eyes. I mean, this again fits the context of Deuteronomy chapter 32, because right after Moses sings this song to Israel, he says this in verse 46 and 47, the next words after the song, he says this, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. Do you hear what Moses is saying to the children of Israel? He's saying, take all these words to heart. It's not an empty word, but it's your very life. Cling to it. Fix your eyes on it. Hold fast to it. And Paul's saying that with the same language. He's saying in our passage, hold fast to the word of life. Cling to the word of life. Fix your eyes on the gospel. Don't take your eyes off of the gospel. The, the way you shine is as lights. The, the way you're going to quit grumbling and complaining is through taking, holding fast to the gospel. Fixing, fixating on the good news of Jesus Christ. Being obsessed with the good news and all you've been given in Jesus. He's saying, this is your very life. So what's this look like? How, how do we practice that? What's that look like in our life? How, how does holding fast to the gospel somehow just fix my grumbling today? Well, when we stop and meditate on all that we've been given in Christ. Just stop and think about it with me. Th think about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All the riches of heaven, they're yours. Or think about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul calls the gospel, all that we have in Jesus, he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. They're the unsearchable riches of Christ. We can spend the rest of our eternity trying to see all that we've been given to in Christ, trying to get to the end of it, and we'll never even get close to mining all the riches of Christ. Or think about Colossians 113, when he calls, Paul calls us to give thanks to the Father. Why do we give thanks to the Father? Who has qualified you, Christian, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The, the, the Father has put you in his will. 
to receive all that can be received in Jesus and to hold nothing back. So think about it. When you've been blessed in Christ with, with an embarrassing amount of riches in Christ, when you have an immeasurable bounty of grace, a lavish love that's incomparable, when you sit there and you hold fast to this, what do you have to complain about? I mean, really, church, when you hold fast to all you've been given in Jesus, what do you have to complain about? How lavish and gracious the Father has been, has given you. You should be called sons and daughters of God. Or how can holding fast to the gospel help us when we want to argue, when we feel like we have to post right then? How does it help us when we want to dispute all the time? Well, think about 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are forever victorious because Jesus died and rose again. If he's still in the tomb, you're defeated forever. But if he's risen, you have victory forevermore. Or think about Colossians 1.13. He says he has delivered us. He's delivered you and me from the domain of darkness that we're talking about. From that, we're no longer belong to the domain of darkness. We've been delivered into and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Father has just changed your zip code if you're in Christ. You used to reside in the domain of darkness, but now you live in the light. You live in Christ where you belong. And so if we've been blessed in Christ with eternal victory over sin, I mean, if right now you reside in Christ and you have freedom forever that, that's already begun but will never end, freedom forever in heaven. When you hold fast to this, when you know this victory, who cares about winning an argument? I mean, who cares about making a point? I mean, the children of Israel have no reason to argue because they've been rescued and neither do we as God's children? What do we have to gain arguing on Facebook that can come close to all that we've already gained in Christ? What do you have to gain? So let, let's church, let's spend all our days, let's hold fast to the gospel daily. All we've been given in Jesus until it overwhelms all the grumbling in our heart. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus, his sacrifice, his death on a cross, his resurrection, his great lavish love, his incomparable grace until it silences all our disputing. Till it silences every argument in your heart. Everything you feel like you have to say because all you've been given in Jesus. So shine without grumbling and disputing. Shine by holding fast to the gospel. And finally, shine through rejoicing and gladness. 
So when we grasp the gospel, when we really realize all the riches that we have in Christ through his death and resurrection, it, it not only consumes all your complaining and all the contentiousness in your heart, it also fills your heart, replaces it with rejoicing and with gladness. It, it changes the tone and tenor of your life. It, it changes the station in your heart where there's a new song of grace and of Jesus playing. I mean, one of the greatest ways that the devil is adding to the darkness right now is through the churches grumbling and complaining. It's through the churches arguing and disputing. It's one of the greatest footholds, pitfalls that the, the devil, the enemy, is playing right now in his playbook. I mean, the enemy would love nothing more than for the church today to believe that it's the big sins, the big sins like murder and adultery and things like that that are devastating. Oh, but, but grumbling and, and arguing, those are harmless. If, if our hearts think that grumbling and arguing are harmless, then the enemy has us right where he wants us. So when we, say, we start redefining sin and saying things like, well, I was just venting. Just had to vent a little bit for a second. Not harm. It's not harmless. It's harmful. Instead of our hearts being filled with the joy of Christ, it's filled with grumbling and complaining. But one of the greatest ways that our Father in Heaven wants to pierce through the darkness is when His people are filled with a joy that's unexplainable in this world. Filled with joy and gladness that other people don't know about. It's the secret weapon of a saved and holy people in a dark world when we're rejoicing and being glad in the midst of the darkness because we have Jesus. I mean, listen to Paul again in verse 16 and 17. He says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I mean, if you had to put yourself in the hardest situation imaginable, the hardest situation that a believer would have to walk through, if you had to imagine with me the hardest suffering, it would be what Paul's going through. I mean, here Paul is sitting in a prison cell with the real prospect of martyrdom, with the real prospect that his head might be off tomorrow hanging over him. I mean, I can't even make it 10 days or really 10 hours of a quarantine without grumbling. Anybody else want to join me in confession time? I mean, I, I can't even make it 10 minutes in a backed up Wendy's drive-thru without having argument in my heart or maybe spilling out of my mouth. Now it's getting serious, right? And yet Paul has death hanging over his head, and yet his heart is filled with rejoicing and gladness. You know what that's called? That's called grasping the gospel. That's the joy of holding fast to the good news 
of Jesus. The, the more we as God's people, the more we grasp all we've been given in Jesus, the more our joy is untouchable. The more you grasp all that you've been given in Jesus, the more your joy is untouchable. That's why it's good and right for Paul to rejoice and be glad. The same reason it's good and right for the Philippians to rejoice and be glad and for us to be joy to rejoice and be glad. It's because our joy is untouchable because Jesus is untouchable. I mean, think about it. Our circumstances are ever-changing. Nothing in your life is sure and constant. Our, our family's ever-changing. Our friends are ever-changing. Our job is ever-changing. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our joy is tied to a never-changing Jesus. To a never-changing Jesus. And maybe your heart this morning, if you were honest, is filled with grumbling. Maybe your heart is filled with complaining and with arguing it's instead of rejoicing and gladness. And, and you truly believe right now in this moment that it's tied to your circumstances. Like you've been disputing this whole time in your heart, all morning long probably. Like, well, pastor, if this or that were different in my life, then I wouldn't be complaining. You would see a different side of me. I would be a different person. Yet what you need is, is not a new set of circumstances. You need a renewed grasp of the gospel. Any moment that your heart's filled with grumbling, with complaining, with arguing, in a disruptive spirit, your heart's telling you, you need Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. You need a renewed sense of your sin and a renewed awe of his grace and his love that he would lavish on you as a sinner. And when that happens, a renewed sense of my sin, a renewed awe that he would love me, that he would show me grace, that he would chase after me, you know what we get? Rejoicing and gladness. That's what we get, rejoicing and glassing. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And your life's been filled with grumbling and complaint. Your life's been filled with a disruptive, contentious spirit. What you need now more than anything is to grasp the gospel. You need to see Jesus, Jesus that can overcome all of your complaining, all of your arguing, all of the words that we were confessing earlier because we have been given him. You need to grasp Jesus' perfect love. You know, one of the most beautiful things about this passage is Paul's life is not just untouchable joy in Jesus, but it's a shared joy with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's amplified joys that he shares with the saints. He says this, Paul says, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. There's joy when you grasp the gospel. There's joy when you think about Jesus. But then there's amplified joy when you get to grasp it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
There's a light when you rejoice in Jesus and people see it in your workplace, but our light shines brightest when we rejoice in Jesus together as the body of Christ. I mean, that's been one of the greatest joys of COVID for the last 18 months. You just said, wait, did you just say joy in COVID? Those words don't go together. But one of the greatest joys over the last 18 months is when I have talked to pastors or members from other churches and they confess that their church has been torn apart. Torn apart by arguments about racial division and CRT. Torn apart by politics and elections. Torn apart by vaccines and masks. And my heart's broken for them, but at the same time, my heart's filled with joy because I get to be one of the pastors at Christ Fellowship Church. Where over the last 18 months, I've seen people count others more significant than they count themselves. Where I've genuinely seen people look out for other interests. This isn't how I would choose to do things. This wouldn't be my idea, but I will do it because I love you. That brings great joy. Where we care more about the glory of Christ and the joy of others in this church than we care about our personal preferences. That brings your pastor's great, great joy that you can't imagine. I can't help but think about how this little church, the church in Philippi, got started. Remember Paul and Silas where, do you remember where they were when the church started? They were sitting in another prison cell in Acts chapter 16. And if you want to talk about an incredible, occasion to grumble and complain all day and all night long. That's the place, right? And yet Acts chapter 16 says this, about midnight, in the darkest moment of the day, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Did you, did you hear that? They were praying and singing songs of joy to their God, and the prisoners couldn't help but listen to them. I guarantee you, if, if they were grumbling and complaining, they wouldn't want to be within 100 feet of them. They would be trying not to hear, but joy, brothers and sisters, is contagious. Joy and gladness shines through the darkness, and as Paul and Silas were filled with joy, it was penetrating the darkness. I mean, this church probably didn't even start Philippi without God filling their hearts with joy of all they've been given in Jesus so much that they could not keep it to themselves, but it shook the foundations of that prison with joy and gladness. makes me think of a, a song in closing. A lady, Miss Martin, was writing a song. I mean, was visiting some friends of hers, the, the Doolittles. That's a real name. And this man and woman had been sitting in misery, what the world would think, for years. Sitting in a miserable place. He had been lame. She had been lame. 
for 20 years and not been able to move. Her husband was a crippled and, and had to push a wheelchair by himself to and from work for years on end. And yet this husband and wife were visiting with the Doolittles and they said, how in the world do you have hope? How in the world do you have joy? How in the world can you keep resting and you can keep trusting and you can keep singing with all that's going on in your life? And she said, well, because his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. And Miss Martin went home and she penned those words. How, why do I feel discouraged? Why do the shadows come? Why is my heart feel lonely? Longing for heaven and home. When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend in need, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. And then we all know the chorus. And I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Because his eye is on the sparrow. I know he's watching me. I know with all my heart, even in the worst situations, I can say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you. Let's pray. Father, make our hearts sing this morning. Lord, make our hearts not be filled with grumbling and complaining where we look and we sound just like the world because, Lord, when we do that, we are only adding to the darkness. But Lord, we ask as your people that you would fill us by the power of your Spirit. Oh, that you would show us all that we've been given in Jesus. That you would overwhelm our hearts with his love, with his grace, with his sacrifice that he would give for sinners like us, so much so that it consumes all our arguing, it consumes all our grumbling and complaining, and it fills our hearts with singing. It fills our hearts with rejoicing and gladness. It fills us with a heart that says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, would you do that for the glory of your great name? Lord, would you do that for our joy? But Lord, would you also do it for the joy of a dark world that doesn't know what it's like to have joy in Jesus right now? Would you fill us with joy and gladness so that people have to know, why do you hope? Why do you have joy? Why do you rest and trust in a Savior so much? Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.